welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast, a very special episode today. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors at Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can learn more about us at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Today is a special episode because we have a guest preacher. Pastor Brenda Satram is also a pastor at Faith Lutheran, also happens to be my wife, and she's bringing the message today. So without further ado, I'll hand over the microphone to Brenda. Hi, friends. I'm Pastor Brenda Satram, and it is my privilege to be spiritual formation pastor at Faith Lutheran Church here in Shelton. And I want to start with a question. What's the longest race you've ever run? What's the longest race you've ever run? Between 2004 and 2015, I ran eight marathons, two of them with Doug, and every one of them taught me a lot. So today, we're going to talk about the seven phrases of Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, in the context of marathons, a little bit of Star Trek, and in under 20 minutes. So here we go. If you want to think about that question, pause for a minute and think about your races. Otherwise, point number one, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, The walk of faith and marathons are crowd sports. No one does them alone. My first 26.2 miles in Portland of 2005 taught me that no one goes it alone. Friends infected me with the bug. I never thought I would marathon. It was crazy. Who would do that? My family and my dog companioned my training. A doctor, chiropractor, and massage therapist supported bones and muscles that ached with the hardening of my training. And it took experts who wrote books and told stories to shape my life for the run. On Marathon Day itself, a crowd of 7,200-plus marathoners, all trained and ready, gathered, inspired, and encouraged each other. We ran again eight years later in Salmon, Idaho, just, and just a few hundred of us started on a gravel road near a one-room schoolhouse south of town. The students at that school had made cheerful and encouraging posters and put them on the walls and the fences around. It was so different and so delightful and so similar. It was a crowd of encouragement. Out of my marathon crowds, I made friends. Back in Portland, early on, I found myself following a tiny gal with Hebrews 12.1 printed on the back of her t-shirt. That's the heart of today's lesson. I followed her for a while and thought about it and then asked her to quote it for me. She said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I went on to learn the rest. Setting our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a witness that little gal was. I passed her then, and she passed me back sometime around mile 20, but she gave me Hebrews 12 forever. So around mile 23, my blisters popped. It was awful. And at mile 24, slogging up the steel bridge, a middle-aged black guy beside me said, I'm not going to make it. 
But he had been hard for me to catch. Grinning, I said, I don't believe you. And by the time we topped the bridge together, he'd told me about the marathons he'd run and recommended the Seattle half because I lived in Enumclaw. And while we talked, I forgot my busted blisters and everything else that ached. I haven't had many friends of color, and I count him as one of them. Between miles 24 and 25.5 on October 9 of 2005, we had a lot in common. No one does this alone. We have and we need a cloud of witnesses for our walk of faith. The saints of old, our friends, both this side and next, and people like the sinners and saints of Hebrews 11, the chapter Doug worked with last week. And people like Lydia, a missionary we're hosting tomorrow at Church at Faith, Tanya and Nelson down in Nicaragua and Costa Rica, all the folk who work beside us and share our space at the faith facility, our family members, and all the people outside the walls that teach and encourage and support us on our road. Today, wherever you are, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, seen and unseen, those who, like us, were captivated by Jesus, followed him as trustworthy and true, and who are with us and for us now and always. You are not alone. Let that sink in. With a deep breath, just enjoy the warm affirmation of your great cloud of witnesses. We don't do this alone. Two. Marathons and the walk of faith beg us to throw off what holds us back. To throw off whatever hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In Portland, I wore long sleeves. I didn't want to be cold. <laughs> I never again. Clothes, shoes, electronics, nutrition, all of the things you take on a race are super light. Marathoning even slimmed and hardened my body because everything extra is a hindrance. Part of what I've worked with here spiritually since moving to Shelton is that despite studying, preaching, and teaching God's word for decades, I just could not shake a heavy sense of doom and personal inadequacy that was nothing at all like free in Christ. Finally now, after four years of hard work and time with spiritual directors, COVID quiet, steady friends, and a good counselor, I seem to be moving through the entanglements, past the entanglements, of what I thought was a storybook childhood, and was in so many ways. Huh, I think we pretty much all come with baggage, hindrances, and entanglements. I am hopeful that at faith we will have help to throw some of that off coming this fall in emotionally healthy relationships. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We don't do it alone. Marathons and the walk of faith beg us to throw off what holds us back. And marathons and our faith walk require perseverance and intention. We are asked to run with perseverance. A long time ago, I was given the idea of training versus trying. Dallas Willard says, We can, by doing what we are able to do now, 
become able to do in the future what we cannot do without training. We can train to do what trying won't get us. No one runs a marathon just by trying hard. God gives us the bodies, the time, and the resources, and we arrange our lives with intention and perseverance, with effort that allows us to grow. When I was marathoning, I sat and followed a training schedule that shaped exertion, rest, food, drink, my whole life. The walk of faith also shapes every aspect of our lives. Thoughts, feelings, food, rest, money, friendships, what we do for fun, all of it. God's not interested in your spiritual life. God's interested in your life. So Hebrews encourages earlier in the book, don't give up meeting together as some are wont to do, but spur one another on to love and good deeds. Keep coming back, stick together, show up in hard times. Persevere. On the race marked out for you, point number four, everyone's race is unique. We follow the same course. We're all following Jesus' race, but we all start in different places with different handicaps and baggage. So we walk the race marked out for us with no comparing and no judging allowed. Setting our eyes on Jesus. Point number five, phrase five, we keep our eyes on Christ alone, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, our chief trainer, our brother in life. Like Jesus, our brother, we are created in the image and likeness of God. He shows us what the with God-like life looks like, what our lives can look like as we move through what hinders and grow more and more into our God-created, God-aware selves. Jesus trained. <laughs> he didn't just grow up, all ma- show up all mature and perfect. He grew up, there we go, he grew up in a neighborhood formed by worship and word to love God and others. As an adult, he practiced solitude and silence with Abba God, serving, healing, and teaching. When we follow Jesus' lifestyle, of weekly rest, community worship, devotional reading, prayer, solitude, service, and then teaching others, we grow closer to and more like him, closer to and more like the image of God. I'm going to jump off the marathon road and onto the ski slope for a moment, if you'll let me switch sports, because I love this application here. One day, my ski instructor took us um, off pissed, off the Uh, groomed slopes, and out into the trees. Some of us wanted to ski the soft stuff out there, the untracked powder. And uh, Doug Smith told us that day, you know, you're not really skiing trees, you're skiing gaps. You go where you're looking. You hit what you're looking at. So if you're looking at the tree, you're going to hit it. So look at the gaps. That's where you want to go. Friends, keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow him and and put your emphasis and your attention there. If you're looking at problems, if we're looking at problems, they'll draw our attention. If we're looking at flaws, they'll draw our attention. If we look at Jesus, he will lead and inspire us and bring us joy. We set our eyes on Jesus, 
who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus was not all about suffering. Jesus endured suffering for the sake of joy. God created us in all things for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control, for good gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes we need to face hard reality with honest courage, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. Friends, we are allowed, you are allowed, even commanded, to enjoy yourself. For the sake of joy, and for the sake of the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. I want to say before we're done that there's a lot of punishing in the Bible, and the rest of Hebrews 12, which talks about discipline could make you think that God might sit on some posh throne assigning illness, hardship, and disaster to teach us our lessons. But if the list of witnesses, martyron, they're called in Greek, the martyrs of Hebrews 11 teaches anything, the last chapter teaches anything, it is that good, beautiful, faithful people sometimes suffer deeply through no fault of their own and certainly not by God's desire. What this passage tries to tell us is that God is for us, as God was for Christ, even in hardship and under opposition. That God is always coming to us like a loving parent to a suffering child, supporting, encouraging, teaching, and coaching, listening for and to the wisdom, compassion, and patience that we gain and share through hardship. There's the end of Hebrews 1 through 4 and the beginning for faith. I want to take off here for a moment. Friends, this is faith, the final frontier. These are the voyages of an emotionally healthy congregation. Our five-year faith-forming mission to explore strange new feelings, to seek out new life in Christ's civilization, to boldly go where that man has gone before. (laughs) No, really. Hebrews 12 is our template for faith. And emotionally healthy is our five-year pathway toward becoming closer to and more like Jesus. So we're going to offer emotionally healthy relationships this fall because so many of us want and need, my dog is in here scratching, I wonder if you hear her, so many of us want and need to love better. And emotionally healthy relationships is a course that offers community-supported, persevering, journeying through our personal baggage toward loving ourselves, others, and God more freely. Once again, emotionally healthy relationships gives us a community-supported, persevering journey through our personal baggage to love ourselves, others, and God more freely. It's coming, late September. If you're interested, let us know. If you think you might want to help facilitate, let us know. But for now, some possible steps 
on our faith trek, on our journey of faith, the voyage of life. First, connect with your cloud of witnesses. Stay connected to your supporters and, your, and the people who hold you up. Second, get help with hindrances. If something has been just plaguing you and you can't shake it, talk to a pastor, find a spiritual director, search out a counselor. Three, set your eyes on Jesus. Find a way to focus on Christ through a a community Bible study, through reading and podcasts online. Find a way to focus on the one who loves you and leads you to life. Four, lean in to joy. What makes you happy? You are invited and even urged to lean into that. That is what life is for. Five, in hardship, let yourself be cared for, and if you're able, care for your neighbors and your friends when they are in hard times, so that everyone might know that they are not alone and that this is not punishment. God gives everything that we need for the journey by grace. And this walk of faith, the faith trek voyage, is ours to make together. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye for now.